0: I'm so thankful to the Lord for that, that I heard that message that night, and it just really gripped my heart.
1: Roxanne worked second shift, which meant getting home late every night. But one evening was different. Instead of her favorite rock station, she found Focus on the Family on the radio.
0: I didn't find out until sometime later that I actually, you know, got saved or born again or, you know, gave my heart to the Lord that night. I just knew that I prayed the prayer at the end, so I just, you know, was... Probably by that time, almost twelve thirty, it would take me about half of an hour to drive home, and just driving in my car, crying, and <laughs> filled with peace and joy, and and just feeling the presence of the Lord, it was wonderful.
1: I'm Jim Daly. Working together, we can save more families like Roxanne's every month. Become a friend of Focus on the Family and invest in this ministry. Call eight hundred A Family or donate at focusonthefamily.com family.
2: Thank you for downloading the Focus on the Family Parenting Podcast. You can find more helpful advice at focusonthefamily.com parentingpodcast parenting podcast.
3: So picture this, someone asks, are you mad? And you yell or sort of yell, no, I'm not mad. And you fold your arms and just kind of turn away. <laughs> There is something in your body language that is communicating, and uh, I'm John Fuller, along with Danny to Danny, you seem to have an open posture. You're smiling. You're, you're looking at me with, uh, with thought in your mind. Body language, that non part of communication, is super important, and kids pick up on it, don't they?
0: Oh, they do. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, emotion. That's part of an emotional intelligence that we try to carry around with us, and we're not always. Uh, using it. And sometimes don't pick up on that with our spouses and with our kids. But kids are are very aware of the fact that sometimes our body language does not match what we're saying or how we're acting. And uh, it doesn't mean we're bad parents. It just means sometimes we're disconnected from our own emotions. Yeah. And, and maybe sometimes we need to check in and see what are our kids saying <laughs> we're saying through our body and uh, and, and slowing down enough to have conversations around that. Yeah, our bodies aren't always saying what we're wanting them to say.
3: Yeah, and I am so guilty of that. I've, <laughs> I've had kids say, are you mad? It's like, no, I'm not mad. Do I sound mad? Well, sort of. Do, you, do I look mad? Yeah. You're scowling. Oh, what am I scowling for? I don't know. Uh, so this is communication 101 stuff. It's really good. Dr. Mike Bechtel talked with Jim Daly and me explaining the impact that your body language and tone of voice can have in your conversations, particularly in the home. I'm just thinking about all the miscommunication that happens in emails and texts. I mean, there's no—I can't do an emotional read of a situation. And I, I, Dina and I have been working on this. My wife and I have been working on this. I'll say, sweetheart, that was just too long of an email. I couldn't read it all. Yeah, don't or, start
1: there. <laughs> or, and, and then she'll,
3: she'll abbreviate, and I'll say, but I'm, you sound angry there. And so I'm, I'm imposing a burden on her because I'm having a hard time reading through— What advice do you have for us in in elephant prevention when it comes to social media and and, and electronic communication? Well,
2: you know, the research shows that only 7% of our communication is the words that we use. The data. Right. (laughs) 38% of our communication is our tone of voice, Mm -hmm. how we say it, and 55% is our body language. The nonverbal. So in face-to-face conversation, we're using all three. If we're on the phone, we're down to two. But if we're texting or emailing or on social media, we've lost about 93% of the communication tools that help us connect.
1: Mike, in fact, you use an example of a friend of yours who's a contractor, and he told you about how many tough texts he gets all day long because the tile's not right, the wall's not right, the window's leaking, I'm sure. Describe that, and how has he managed this deluge of negativity?
2: And he's a ceiling contractor for major projects like airports and skyscrapers and those kind of things. And whenever they sit down at the beginning, all the contractors get together for their first meeting. They almost make court dates at, at the beginning because right. they know there's going to be lawsuits. And he said it gets so volatile. They want to do everything by email. Nobody talks. They just email because they want the paper trail. So when they're in court, they can prove you said this. I said this. And he said it tends to get volatile really quickly. And if the first email can become very toxic. And he's learned that the way to handle that is if he gets one of those emails, he doesn't email back. He either picks up the phone Mm -hmm. and he'll just say, hey, I got your email. What's going on? Tell me about it. Or in some cases, he'll actually get in his car and drive across town to meet with him, have lunch with him. Because he said, I've got to have that face-to-face. No matter how tough they are. And how strong they are in their email, because you're kind of anonymous. You don't it's safer that way. Said so if you meet with them face to face, they're never as strong as they are in those kind of communications. Well and to your
1: point, you're using a hundred percent of your God given yeah. communication ability, body language, tone of voice, and the content of what you say which I think is brilliant. Um, You said something in your book that really caught my attention because this fits at a cultural level, and I want to read it to you. Of course, you wrote it, and then just expand on this. Um, You said, Americans used to live in a trusting culture punctuated by occasional episodes of harm. Now we live in an untrusting culture punctuated by occasional episodes of integrity. Wow. Is that what we're living in now?
2: Well, I think it certainly is a different culture. When I was a kid, I used to get on my bike and start riding And my mom would say, where are you going? And I'd say, I don't know. She'd say, okay, be back in time for dinner. Right, and it's 10 in the morning. Right, it's 10 in the morning. (laughs) I
1: remember Um, those days.
2: But when my kids started riding their bike, I would say, okay, make sure you can see me. You can go down to the end of the block and back, but make sure I can see you. And I remember what a big day it was when they could go around the block. And I was terrified for those two minutes because I didn't know. The block is big. It is. And what's going to happen there? So I think we have gotten into a culture where there's so many things happening. And it may not even be how much is happening, but what we see on the news magnifies what is happening. So it's disproportionately terrorizing.
1: Where does this go when that breakdown of trust is occurring at that level, at a national level, where people are lacking trust, we're not doing much institutionally to build trust? I mean, what do we as Christians
2: do in this environment? You know, it can be frustrating for people because we don't know what to do. But we feel like I have to do something. And it's real easy to say, well, I need to let people know where I stand. I need to let them know my position. And uh, they'll protest. They'll do some of the other things. But in First Peter 2, I think it starts in about verse 11, um, especially in verse 12. It says there's two things you do in society when you are in a hostile society. It says basically you live a godly life. And secondly, you treat people with respect, including the emperor, Right. So the the leaders, the other people to be able to have conversations and the problem with the protests and some of the other things is it's we're taking sides. We're just talking. But what could I really do that would make a difference as a believer? I could probably have a conversation with somebody I disagree with and show them respect, Mm. not to change your mind. But what could it do to sit down and just listen to someone who I disagree with and have that conversation still show respect? And we can come out of it with respect.
1: It's powerful. And, you know, thankfully, the Lord laid that on my heart. That's something I've been doing. And what's amazing about it is how the Lord shows up in those conversations. Why do you think, as the elephant in the room in that context, why do we in the Christian community, Christian leadership, why do we fear taking the Word of God, taking um, the fruit of the Spirit, taking the attributes of God into hostile territory? why do we pull back? Why do we want to stay home? Why do we not want to engage the world in all of its Hmm. unseemliness? It's exactly opposite of what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus went to the unseemly parts of the community, and he got ridiculed for it. He was hanging out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the people that desperately needed him, but the religious people frowned upon that. What in our human nature and our fleshly nature is keeping us from doing the work of God?
2: I think we don't like pain. We don't like people to think poorly of us. We're afraid of what they're going to say about us. And we don't know how to respond. Um, Jesus knew what to say. He had some good answers. And we find ourselves in situations, Mm. especially people who are more introverted, which is about 25% of the population, that can come up with great answers if they have time to think. But when someone confronts them, and it's like, they're putting you in a position of how backwards are you that you would actually believe that. And right. so we don't, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to respond. But I think that goes back to the importance of real relationships, godly living. It's not wearing our Christianity on our sleeve. It's wearing it in our life.
3: You know, sometimes I look at social media posts and I think, seriously, you're saying that on a public forum? I mean, where's the filter? You are just unloading in a public way, and it's just not good for you to do that. I think that's a little bit of what Dr. Bechtel was getting at, that um, we kind of hide behind the technology and think that the social media platform is going to somehow make it easier for people to hear us when we dump or we, we say something really you know, um, uh, provocative. How do we help our kids, Danny, understand that social media and what they post is kind of like infinite. It doesn't. It has a long shelf life, and it could dog them down the road.
0: The reality is, as teens and 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 even preteens, we're not thinking that far ahead. <laughs> okay. So it is so yeah. hard. I mean, this is prime for disaster for a teenager. Right? John, you and I would have been right there with a lot of teenagers saying impulsive things on social media, which is what makes it so popular. You can have your impulsive rant on social media, and feel pretty good after it, not thinking about the consequences yeah. that can come out. So I think as parents, what we can talk about is the way kids are wired in their brain. As a teenager, you're more impulsive. You don't think that far ahead, and things can come back and, and get you. And you could do a rant, and then later on it comes back to, to get you. Or you could think it through and maybe say in, in more calculated ways what you're trying to say and live out the the faith that you have within your heart. It's going to be up to you. Hmm. And the idea is could here. If the more you bring should, the more it actually creates. Like we've talked about before on the show, it creates a almost a challenge. You shouldn't. Do this. You shouldn't do that. And as a teenager, mm, yes, uh, that looks like a challenge to to me anyway. But uh, the the social media offers a platform of impulsive ranting and impulsive, provocative things, as you said, John. And uh, we're going to have to be patient as parents as we walk through that with our kids. Yeah. And we've had a lot of conversations in our home. My my son and I is he's starting with the phone, at sixteen now. We we do have a contract, and we 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 press the reset button now already. How much time are you spending on there? But what are you saying? What's the content of what you're saying and what you're receiving from others and why? It's a great conversation. They're not going to be perfect.
3: I remember one of my daughters just unloaded on us, her parents, on Facebook when she she was like 15 and a half, and Mm -hmm. she just dumped on us. And I, I had to pull her aside and say... It's not the place for that stuff, okay? Don't don't do that, okay? You can talk to us personally, but don't do that. And now she's actually a very encouraging person. When I see her social posts, she's affirming people. She's using the Mm -hmm. gift of words really well. So there is hope, parents. If you're going through a a tough season now, give your kids space not to be perfect, because they're not going to be perfect. Let them stub their toe a few times, but help them see, you know what? It's probably not the best to do that, right? and let them own that. Well, Dr. Bechtel's book is dealing with the elephant in the room, and it tackles a lot of these important communication issues. I don't know if he has a phone contract in there, but maybe we can talk about that some other time. I like the idea, Danny. Uh, We will send Dr. Bechtel's book to you as our thank you gift when you make a contribution of any amount to the ministry of Focus on the Family. Help us provide counselors to those who have questions that they really need to talk to somebody about. Help us uh, create resources and produce podcasts like this. Uh, Make a donation today. We'll send that book to you. Details are in the show notes. Uh, Next time, we're going to hear from Dr. Kathy Cook about helping your kids reflect the character of God. And for now, on behalf of Danny Huerta and the rest of the team, thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller, and this has been the Focus on the Family Parenting Podcast.